appreciate that. If your Bibles are open to Lamentations chapter 2, we're going to be doing a little bit of Bible study and moving back and forth uh, to some various scriptures, so if you'll be ready for them. We are taught in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Not all scripture is positive. There are verses like, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Very positive truth, very uplifting, very encouraging. Fear thou not, for I am with thee. Be not dismayed, uh, for I am thy God, and so forth. There are some great verses, great texts like that, but there are also some verses that are just the opposite. And the entire book of Lamentations is one of those very heavy portions of Scripture. We would look at it and we would say a very negative passage. But remember, it is scripture. So it is given by inspiration of God and it is supposed to be profitable to us. If we will learn from it and grow from it, then it's profitable. In the year 590 BC, the armies of Nebuchadnezzar surrounded the capital city of Jerusalem and placed it under a siege. During that time, no one could go into the city, no, no supplies could get in, um, and uh, you could get out of the city, but if you did so, you were immediately captured by the armies of Babylon. It was a lose-lose situation for God's people. Nebuchadnezzar was there as part of God's judgment on his people for their, their many, many decades uh, of, of ignoring the word of God. That siege lasted for about three years. In the middle of the siege, the prophet Jeremiah was cast into prison. Uh, it was called the court of the prison. It was in the king's house, and it was in, in a dungeon in the bottom of that. And so as the siege and all of its, its uh, results were being felt outside the city, uh, outside of the palace, Jeremiah was somewhat insulated, if, if, even though it was in a very harsh place. Uh, it was a dark place. It was cold. About the only thing he had was bread. Uh, the king had decreed that Jeremiah should always receive bread every day as long as there was bread to be found in the city. 586 B.C. or thereabouts, uh, in, in May or June, the city of Jerusalem fell. And the gates were breached and the slaughter of the inhabitants of Jerusalem began in earnest. Nebuchadnezzar had issued a decree that they should go and they should find the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah was well known uh, to him and, and possibly through the influence of Daniel, uh, Jeremiah received special treatment. So uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a commander that went in and specifically found Jeremiah. And for the first time in a year and a half, Jeremiah stepped out into the daylight. And what he saw was devastating and heartbreaking. All of the royal houses were on fire and in flames. The temple was being dismantled and it was in flames. Uh, there were dead people lying all over the street that had died of starvation, that had died of disease, and others were being slaughtered. The accounts of the history of that particular day when Nebuchadnezzar and his soldiers finally broke the siege talks about the blood running down the streets. Jerusalem's built on hills. 
uh, that it, it ran down the, the gutters were just like there was a massive rainstorm with that much blood in the gutters. They spared nobody because of their age or their standing in society. And uh, Jeremiah stepped out into that carnage and into that devastation. In the days that followed, it was beyond description. It was during that horrible time that God instructed his prophet to pick up the pen and put it to paper and write what we refer to as the book of the Lamentations. Five little chapters. It's actually written in the form of Jewish poetry where, he, where Jeremiah just pours out his heart. He talks about his broken heart. He talks about the broken heart of the Jewish people, the remnant that survived that carnage. And he talks about the broken heart of God. It's a very dark book of the Bible. There are some glimmers of hope. It is in Jeremiah chapter 3 that we read about his mercies and his compassions. They fail not and great is thy faithfulness and so forth. But much of the book is exactly what the title says. It is a lamentation, an expression of the deepest of sorrows. As Jeremiah is writing about everything that he is seeing, he makes a statement in chapter 2 and verse number 5. If you would look at it with me tonight, please. He says again, the Lord was as an enemy. He hath swallowed up Israel. He hath swallowed up all her palaces. He hath destroyed his strongholds and hath increased in the daughter of Judah mourning and lamentation. Remember, the Jewish people were God's chosen people. They were the people of the book. They were the people to whom God gave the Bible. They were the people to whom God gave the promises. The Messiah was going to come through the Jewish people. God had given them the land to Abraham and to his seed after him as an everlasting possession. God referred to the Jewish people as the apple of his eye. They were God's special people, God's chosen people. They were a, a peculiar people, a royal priesthood, and God had blessed them and crowned them with his presence when the temple was established and, and the, the, the glory of God fell on that place. And God had given them victory and given them kings like David and Hezekiah and Jehoshaphat, and God had helped them to defeat enemies much larger themselves. But things changed. Their relationship with their God changed. And even though there was a day God called them the apple of his eye, the Bible says in verse number five, the Lord was as an enemy. The Lord was as an enemy. Their father Abraham was called the friend of God. But when Jeremiah stepped out that day, there was no friendship being displayed from God for those people. God had become their enemy. I want you to think about that little thought. That might be a phrase worth highlighting or underlining or circling in your Bible. The Lord was as an enemy. We know that before salvation, we are by nature the enemies of God. Keeping your place in lamentations, let's look at our first scripture in the New Testament book of Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. And I need, uh, need a couple of my guys. Brother Rob, can you come up to help me? I forgot to mention them. Brother Adam, can you come up and help me? Would that be all right? I, I didn't mean to wake you up. I'm sorry. 
I shouldn't tease these guys. They, they are such a blessing. But uh, one of you over here, Brother Adam, if you'll come stand over here. Look what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. And you hath he quickened, that means made spiritually alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. Who is he talking about there? Who's the prince of the power of the air? That is Satan. Okay, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life in time past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of what? Wrath, even as others. So before we get saved, we are walking according to the prince of the power of the air. You get to be the devil tonight. Awesome casting. Um, and, and the Bible says we walked according to the, the, the course of this world, the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. And by nature, we were the children of wrath. This idea that the world tries to foster out there that everybody is a child of God, that is not true. You're not a child of God until you get born again. You're a creation of God and God loves you, but spiritually, by nature, we are the children of wrath. That gives us the, 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 uh, uh, the visual here that as the children of wrath, walking according to the prince of the power of the air, we are at war with God before we get saved. We are not, we are not at peace with God even a little bit. That doesn't happen till we get saved. Romans says being justified by, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're at war with God and God is our enemy. Now he loves us, uh, but he is not gonna tolerate our sin. Uh, he's not let, gonna let us just go to heaven because he's a good guy and he loves us. He sent his son to die on the cross. And if you wanna get the idea of how much God hates our sin, look at what he allowed to happen to his son on the cross. The savior was brutalized. He was criminally victimized on the cross. He suffered a, a horrible death. And God was saying, that's how much I hate your sin. All of the anger that man put on Christ, God says, that's how much I hate your sin. So we were by nature the children of wrath. But when we get saved, our war with God ends. Again, Romans chapter 5 and verse 1, therefore, uh, now being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm no longer at war with God. God is not my enemy. It is now and only now that I can call God my heavenly father. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believed on his name. So he becomes my heavenly father. I have an entire new relationship with him. And uh, that's my enemy. Be sober, be vigilant for your adversary, the devil. Um, in John chapter 8 and verse 44, Jesus told the unbelieving Jews in his day, ye are of your father, the devil. Boy, did that choke them up. They hated that with a passion because they said, no, we're the seed of Abraham. He said, no, if you were the seed of Abraham, you'd have believed on me. You are of your father, the devil. And he's talking about spiritually speaking. 
okay? Man, when we got saved, that all ended. Praise the Lord. Uh, the war is done. The war is over. And, and we are now the children of God. But listen very carefully. As a believer, we can go back to war. We can go back to war with God. You say, no, you can't. Well, actually, the Bible says, yes, you can. And yes, it happens. You say, how's that? You switch sides. Oh, you don't lose your salvation. Aren't you glad that doesn't happen? But we act as if we're on this side. We act like him. Do you remember when Jesus started telling the disciples in the Gospel of Matthew, we'll look specifically at it, all the things that were going to befall him of the chief priests and the scribes, and how he would be crucified and, and killed and all of that. And Peter spoke up, God forbid that this should happen to thee. What did Jesus call Peter? Get thee behind me, Satan. Because you see, at that moment, even though just a few verses earlier, Peter had given his profession of faith, and we know that Peter was a saved man, and God was his father, but at that moment, Satan was acting more like his old dad, than his new dad. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. Remember, um, the Jewish people in the Old Testament, they were God's chosen people. The people, again, to whom he gave the promises, they were the apple of God's eye. But Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 5 says, the Lord was as an enemy. Not to Babylon, to Assyria, to Egypt, to Moab, or any of the other surrounding heathen nations, but to the Jewish people, to Judah, the Lord was as an enemy. The question tonight is twofold. Number one, is he your heavenly father? Are you saved? Are you born again? But number two, is he a friend or is he your enemy? You say, Christians can't be the enemy of God. Well, I, I like that you're wrong on that. Turn to James chapter 4. The Bible says you're wrong. James chapter 4, verse 1. From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lust that war in your member? Why can't you get along? Why are you, all, why are you always fussing with each other? Why are you always at, at odds with each other? Um, they come even of your lust that war in your members. Ye lust and have not. You, you want your own way. You want this. You want that. You want to do your own thing. Ye kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. Ye fight and war, yet ye have not because ye ask not. Ye ask and receive not because ye ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is What? Enmity. Does anybody know what the word enmity means? It means warfare. The friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the what? The enemy of God. James is writing to believers. Over and over again, he refers to them as my brethren, my brethren, my brethren. And he's writing with them, and he actually said, ye adulterers and adulteresses. In the Old Testament to the Jewish people, adultery was, was uh, often used as a symbol of their spiritual departure from their allegiance and loyalty to God. 
Um, the Ezekiel chapter 16, a very lengthy chapter, uses that horrible illustration of adultery uh, to show how uh, both Israel and Judah had betrayed their commitment uh, to, their, to their spiritual husband, Almighty God. James uses the same terminology, and he said, friendship with the world is enmity with God. If I'm the friend of the world, the Bible says I'm the enemy of God. So as we consider Lamentations chapter 2 and verse 5, the Lord was as an enemy, we have to ask ourselves the question, am I doing anything? Is there something in my life that causes me to be at war with God that causes God to see me more on the enemy side than on his side. Friendship with the world's one of them. Turn with you to Romans. You guys okay? Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Verse number 6 says, For to be carnally minded is death. Carnally means fleshly minded. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is what? Enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. He talks about a carnal mind carnal way of thinking, carnal attitudes. Um, to get a description of how carnality is manifested, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Save people. But he says in verse 1, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal if they are carnal and to be uh, the carnal mind is enmity with God are they at war with God yes or no most definitely um, he said I, I can't speak unto you as unto spiritual but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ I fed you with milk and not with meat for hitherto ye were not able to bear it neither yet now are ye able notice verse 3 for ye are yet carnal for whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal? Walk as men. Carnality is manifested in the inability to get along with other people. Uh, it's manifested in constantly causing turmoil, strife, divisions, conflict amongst God's people. That is the outward manifestation of a carnal heart. And the Bible says in Romans 8 that the carnal mind is enmity against God. So we need to understand as believers, we can be saved and God is our heavenly father, but we can go to war against our father. The, the people of Judah, they were Jewish people by, by blood. They were God's chosen people, but the Lord was as an enemy. So I can be at war against God, by friendship with the world. You say, well, what's friendship with the world? The word world can mean one of three things in the Bible. One, it can mean the planet. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. The planet, that is sometimes the world. The world can refer to people. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. There it's very clear Jesus didn't die to save the rainforest. You, you do understand that, right? Um, he, he didn't die for that. He died to save people. And the word world refers to the people on the planet. But the word world can also talk about the philosophy, the attitude, the mindset of a lost human race. Turn to 1 John, if you would please, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2. You doing all right? Well, that's a little quiet, but uh, we'll just keep going like you're doing all right. 1 John, chapter 2. Look at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Well, that's pretty bold and blatant, isn't it? If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. No man can serve two masters, Jesus said. He either love the one and hate the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Mammon is the riches, the things of this world. Um, John writes it again and says, Again, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. If I'm saved, I belong to God. My allegiance, my loyalty belongs to God. Colossians chapter 3 says, If ye then be risen with Christ, that means if you're saved, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. When I get saved, I belong to him. I'm supposed to resemble my heavenly father. Uh, I'm supposed to be transformed into the image of Christ. And the longer I'm saved, the more and more I'm supposed to talk like Jesus. I'm supposed to behave like Jesus. I'm supposed to look like Jesus. I'm supposed to treat other people like Jesus would um, and so forth. And the closer I get to Jesus, the less I want of the world that is controlled by the prince of the power of the air. The world is not supposed to be telling us what our morals are. If you're, if you're even half aware of what's going on today, our world does not have any idea what morals are. They have cast them all the way out. All of this stuff, what are your pronouns? I'm a man. That's all you need to know. Um, and by the way, there's one other choice. You're either a man, you're a woman. You're not an it, you're not a thing, you're not a shim, not a sure. You are either a man or a woman. That's how God made them. But our world has got that all confused and, and so on and so forth. And as believers, we are supposed to reject that vile, ungodly philosophy. We're not supposed to befriend it as if it's cute or funny or anything else. I, I, I was met with some uh, awkward looks on Wednesday night when I referred to the late Betty White who passed away a couple uh, of weeks ago, died at, uh, two weeks away from being 100 years old, I think. She was 99 plus, something like that, and one of the great icons and stuff like that. Um, she's a cute little old lady with a filthy mouth. 
She made vulgarity funny and cute and charming and all that kind of stuff. And there's nothing funny about vulgarity, profanity, and immorality. But see, the world says it's all funny. The world says it's all cute. And you and I are supposed to be different than that. We're supposed to take our stand on the Word of God. The world isn't supposed to tell us what kind of music to listen to. We're supposed to let the Bible give us the guideline on that. The world's not supposed to tell us um, uh, anything about how to live our life. The world says you ought to live together for a couple of years before you get married. God said marriage is honorable in all and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. The world says love is love. God said, no, it's not. There's either right or there's wrong. There's black, there's white. There's on, there's off, there's up, there's down. And the Bible is that which dictates right and wrong. As a believer, though, the tendency is, you see, it, the more we become like Christ, the more the world hates us. Jesus said, marvel not if the world hate you. They hated me before they hated you. It's going to happen. The more you stand for Christ and stand for right, and the, and the fact, checkers on, fact checkers on Facebook may be live stream fact checking me right now. Uh, that might make me a target in the eyes of the world. I'm a racist. I'm a homophobe. I'm, I'm this, that, and the other thing and all that. I'm just a Bible believer. I don't hate anybody. Just don't do that. But see, the more we stand for Christ, the more that guy and his followers hate us. And we're living in the last days and that warfare is going to become more open and more pronounced than at any time in human history. Read your Bible. In the last days, perilous times shall come. When I am allowing the world to tell me how to dress, how to talk, how to live, how, what my morals ought to be, I have a friendship with a lost world system and I'm actually taking the wrong side on the issue, and I'm at enmity with God, James chapter 4. How many see that? By the way, I didn't ask if you agree with that because I don't care. It isn't a matter of whether you agree with the Bible. It's a matter of does that, is that what the Bible says, and that is what the Bible says. Okay? So friendship with the world, he's, I'm at war with God. The Lord is as an enemy. The carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind, that fleshly mind motivated by what I want, the lust of the flesh and all of the rest of that, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. Again, 1 Corinthians 3 is so very, very clear. James chapter 3 is also clear. On the, why don't we go there? James chapter 3. We'll just keep this all Bible. James chapter 3. You guys doing all right? Look, if I have to stand here on one leg, you can do it on two. We're good. James chapter 3. If you're there, go to James. No, that's, that's where I want you to, to be. Um, verse, let's go to verse number uh, 8. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. You talk about how good God is out of one side of your mouth and bad mouth other people out of the other. Um, he said, out of that same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Is that what your Bible says? That means it's wrong. 
Doth a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? What is the answer to that question? No. When you go out to the water fountain out here and you press the button, you're going to get nice, fresh, cold water. You're not going to get salt water. It doesn't come out of the same fountain. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, yes or no? No. Either a vine figs, yes or no? No. So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh? Can't be. It's one or the other. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But notice this. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not, lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual. What's the last part? Devilish. By the way, those are some of the same words Paul used in, in, in 1 Corinthians 3 to talk about the church there. For ye are yet carnal, for where envying and strife is... Um, it, it's all about carnality. So again, uh, if you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. For where envying and strife is, there's confusion in every evil work. Again, it's earthly, sensual, and what? Devilish. When you can't get along with other people, you might as well just change T-shirts because this is your new team. Because that's who you're representing. No, I'm not. I love Jesus. If a man say, I love God and hated his brother, he is a liar. That's what God, well, I don't hate them. Yeah, but you just badmouth them, put them down every chance you get. If that's not hate, what is hate? Well, I don't run them over with my car. No, but you've already run over them with your mouth, which is actually a lot more painful. When, when we have the carnal mind, he might be my father, but I'm on the wrong side. Peter got on the wrong side. He got on the wrong side, and the Savior had to say, get thee behind me, Satan. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 28. 1 Samuel chapter 28. King Saul was handpicked by God to be the first king of Israel. He was a humble man. He loved God. He hung on every word that the prophet Samuel said, and God certainly blessed him and used him. And then, after about three years, after some success under his belt, Saul got a big head. He was no longer little in his own eyes. And um, one day there was a war against the Philistines, and Samuel said, I'll be there within seven days, and I'll make the sacrifice before the Lord, and you go out to battle. And on the seventh day, Saul got impatient because Samuel hadn't shown up yet. And so Samuel, or Saul just said, well, Samuel was supposed to be here and he didn't show up. So Saul, or Samuel went and offered the sacrifice. He took on the role of the priest. He wasn't allowed to do that. He wasn't of the right tribe. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. And he offered it. Samuel showed up just as he was finishing up and Samuel rebuked him. And Saul's response was, well, you didn't show up when you were supposed to. Uh, he said, I'd come on the seventh day. It's the seventh day I'm here. And Saul blamed it on Samuel. Blame that on Samuel. Um, there's another time God sent Saul against uh, the Amalekites in battle and said, I remember everything they did to Israel when they come out of Egypt. I want you to destroy the Adam, uh, Amalekites utterly, every man, woman, and child. Spare no one. Don't spare the animals or anything. And Saul went to battle and uh, killed everybody except the king. 
he saved all of the best animals and the sheep and so forth. And Samuel went and, and confronted Saul and Saul said, well, it was the people that did that. And uh, then he said, well, yeah, but we did it because we we're going to offer all those animals as a sacrifice before God. And time after time, Saul had the word of God. He had the commandments of God, but Saul said, I get to do what I want to do. I get to decide for myself. And his actions were contrary to the word of God. And God said, I'm done. I'm done. He said, when you were little in your own sight, he said, I chose you to be the king over my people. But that's all changed. He pointed out to, Saul, to, to, to King Saul, he said, rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. We would never get involved in witchcraft or Satanism, but the Bible says rebellion against the authorities God's placed in your life is equal to witchcraft. And stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. And God rejected Saul from being king. Let him be king for the rest of his life, but God said, I'm going to replace you. None of your children will ever sit on the throne. I've sought me out a man after my own, my own heart. Years have gone by. The Lord departed from King Saul. An evil spirit from the Lord descended on him and would throw him in fits, fits of melancholy and rage. He tried to kill David. He tried to kill his own son, Jonathan. Um, he, he spent years trying to destroy the man that he knew God had chosen to replace him on the throne. The end of his life comes along and there's one final battle. The largest Philistine army ever gathered against the nation of Israel. And the Bible says that Saul went out and he wanted, he wanted God's help. Samuel was dead. Look, if you would, please, verse 5. When Saul saw the host of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart greatly trembled. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord answered him not, neither by dreams, nor by Urim, nor by prophets. Nothing he tried. God wouldn't talk to him. Remember in James, said, you have not because you ask not. You ask and receive not because you ask amiss that ye may consume it upon your lust. And that's where he talked about your friendship with the world is enmity with God. You're the enemy of God. Here is Saul in a similar position. God won't listen to his prayers. God won't talk to him. Saul was so desperate that he went out and he hired a witch. Now, earlier, when he was a young man, he got rid of all the witches in the land of Israel. He put them to death. They were vile. They were of Satan. He destroyed them. But now that God won't talk to him, he goes out and he finds a witch called the witch of Endor. He comes to her in disguise, doesn't let her know that he's the king. She said, what do you want? He said, I want you to bring me up the spirit of Samuel. And uh, normally she was just a fraud that was using demonic powers and demonic uh, spirits and so forth. But this time, for some reason, God chose to send Samuel himself back. Look, if you would, please, verse 12. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried with a loud voice, and the woman spake to Saul, saying, Why hast thou deceived me? For thou art Saul. She thought, You've entrapped me. You want to kill me. The king said unto her, Be not afraid, for what sawest thou? And the woman said unto Saul, I saw gods ascending out of the earth. And he said unto her, What form is he of? She said, An old man cometh up. And he's covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed himself. And Samuel said to Saul, Why hast thou disquieted me to bring me up? And Saul answered, I'm sore distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God is departed from me, and answereth me no more. Today you might not want anything to do with God. Today you might be bored with him. 
Today you might be so tired of all this God stuff, but you mark it down, the day will come when you're going to want God and you're going to need God. And Saul was finally there. God has departed from me and answereth me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore, I have called thee that thou mayest make known unto me what I shall do. Verse 16. Then said Samuel, wherefore then dost thou ask of me, seeing the Lord has departed from thee. Read the last few verses, words with me. Ready? And is become thine enemy. The man who chose Saul said, I want you to be the first king of my people. The man who blessed this young man and used him to solidify and bring safety and strength to a nation, that young man decided he didn't have to listen to God. Everybody else did. Everybody else did except him. And uh, he wouldn't take the blame for anything. He could confront everybody else about their sin, but when Samuel confronted him about his, it was always somebody else's fault. It's Samuel's fault, it's the people's fault or whatever. And God just said, I'm done with that. And now that same man that God chosen is over here trying to kill God's chosen man, David. Spent years trying to kill the man after God's own heart. Tried to kill his own son who would have been his heir had Saul stayed right with God. Do you, do you understand Saul may have still been what we would refer to as a saved man in the Old Testament, but he said, the Lord, or Samuel said, the Lord has become your enemy. You're on this side behaving just like him. And the Lord has become your enemy. You want to understand what it means when the Lord becomes your enemy? Read through the book of Lamentations. Read what happens when we go onto the other side. From time to time in the course of our lives, we all get a little off kilter. I preached on temptation this morning. It's a reality that we all struggle with. We all have a particular temptation that we are more prone to. We've got to understand something. When I yield to temptation, I'm listening to the wrong voice. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. The carnal mind is enmity with God. A rebellious life and a stubborn spirit is enmity with God. And from time to time, the wise Christian reads through a passage like Lamentations, the whole, the whole book, but especially chapter 2 and verse 5, the Lord was as an enemy, and we have to ask ourselves the question, is there anything in my life it's causing God to view me as the enemy. Am I of more use to his cause than I am to the cause of God? How do I live? How do I treat people? How do I talk to people? How do I respond to the authorities in my life? Am I utterly bored with this God stuff and wish I could be out there because the world's having so much fun. You may call yourself a Christian, you have a hard time proving it. Show me thy faith without thy works. James said, I'll show you my faith by my works. Um, 
but you're, you're, you're bored with all this church stuff and boy, you wish you didn't have all these rules. Of friendship with the world is enmity with God. Do you really want God to be your enemy? See, I can only speak for myself. I need God to be my friend. I need God to be my friend. I need him too much. And I don't have to wait until the armies of the Philistines are around me and I've made a mess of everything to realize, oh yeah, yeah, now I need God. I need God now. I need God every day. I need God just to get through every day. I need God's strength to deal with the struggles that are unique to my situation in life, just like you have that. You need them for your struggles in your life. I need God's help. I need God's wisdom. I want God's blessing. I want to be able to open my Bible and hear the voice of God talking to me. I want to be able to walk around in here and, and talk to the Lord in prayer or be driving down the, the road talking and I know that I'm in touch with God. Um, uh, uh, his spirit beareth witness with our spirit that we are the sons of God. You know what I'm talking about? I, I need God now. How foolish of me to think that I can live in such a way that God views me as his enemy and just at my whim, I can switch t-shirts. Oh, I'm back now, God. I'm, I need you now. When he knows full well, I still have the t-shirt in my closet. I'm ready to join the other side. That doesn't float with God. Not at all. So we take the negative of lamentations, that dark, almost foreboding message, and if we're wise, we learn from it and say, I want to stay as far away from anything that would make me the enemy of God. I want to be his friend. He's my father. I, I, I want to be like Jesus. I, I do always those things that please him. I want God to smile on me. Remember the verses, make thy face to shine upon thy servant? Over and over again, that was in the Old Testament. I would like God to smile when he sees me rather than like, He's at it again. Where do you stand? Again, let's keep short accounts with God. Let's, let's stop thinking like the world's got it going. The world is going to hell in a handbasket. And we need to understand that and stop thinking that they're having all the fun and we're missing out. We're not missing out on a thing. We serve a very good God and how offensive for us to be looking always over there thinking his kids are having more fun than we are. No, they're not. No, they're not. They're dark. They're lonely. They're trying to cover up their unhappiness with alcohol and drugs and every other vice that's out there. And they're just as angry and lost as can be. God's where it's at. The Lord was as an enemy. Brother Rob, I read that recently in my Bible, and boy, it just kind of like jumped off the page. And, and all I thought to myself is, dear God, is there anything in my life that's making you look at me like your enemy rather than your friend? Let's pray. Thank you, gentlemen. I appreciate your help.